he suffers from a deplorable excess of personality. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein! Disintegrated Einstein! Einstein! Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is Jurassic Park. So excited. I literally feel like I'm five. (laughs) Oh, Oh, the the 11. 11. Okay, fine. Make it older. (laughs) I don't understand children. I don't know age. (laughs) What are they? What are they when they're that high? It's fine. Um, how are you? I'm great. I just had some hot English mustard on some sausage. Oh yeah, like that sounded so dirty. <laughs> it really didn't though at all. I mean, just the word sausage. Hot English mustard. Obviously. Oh, hot English. <laughs> that's yeah. That's I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of coasting this weekend. Um, how about you? Oh, London. (laughs) Oh, they're protesting in the streets. In London? Are they again? What are they protesting now? Oh, Super League. Oh, I forgot to check. Um, yeah, that was hilarious. That lasted like 24 hours and then all the clubs were like, oh, this was a bad idea. Uh, London is okay, but hopefully the next time we record, I shall no longer be London living and I will be an Oxford person, uh, currently in the process of moving. So everything is just packed and it's just a little bit, Frida, chaotic at the moment. Wink. (laughs) So next time we see you, you'll be sitting in an armchair with a blazer. No, with a smoking jacket with your pipe. Obviously, that's how it works. That's an Oxford lady. Yeah. Um, right. So we have to do our thing before we get into this movie. And our thing is toasting. Uh, just a little nod, a little toast to the countries that like to listen to us, which we super is appreciate. It it's nice to go through the list sometimes. Is and we've been working through this list for a is while. Yeah. Rita's really, really desperate to get to a certain country. Um, but this week we are actually going to be toasting to Canada. (gasps) (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm leaving that to you now because I didn't, (laughs) I didn't look this up because I know that you know how they toast in Canada. (laughs) Look, I think Canada is a very big place and they toast in all sorts of different ways. But there's this one place. <laughs> this is from people in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia. <laughs> in Nova Scotia, they toast in the following way. Sociable. And yes, I've been waiting months. Months. To, to just say that. sociable. Sociable. In Nova Scotia. Sociable. Oh, wow. Sociable. (laughs) Okay, well, sociable. (laughs) Look, I'm happy. Thanks for listening. Sociable. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) They're not from Nova Scotia. They'll be from 
Regina. Experience Regina. <laughs> Wait, what? I will not. Oh, nothing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. If you know, you know. Um. Okay, so Jurassic Park. Will we talk about that instead? Yeah, yeah. We do that. Got some notes jotted down. Cool. <laughs> Uh, should I give you a bit of a summary? Everyone's going to need like a really detailed summary for me to explain what's happening. You know what? Go for it. <laughs> okay. Dinosaurs. That's it. That's the whole movie. Do you know what? There be, might be millennials listening. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, other stuff does happen. So, <laughs> but dinosaurs. <laughs> right. The very, very wealthy and apparently bored John Hammond has gathered a team of scientists, bought an island and decided that theme parks with massive dangerous animals that nobody has ever seen before will be fun for the kids. He's just trying to be a good grandpa. Having set up his park, he wants the approval of the best paleontologist in the field, who inexplicably wasn't involved in any of the dino making. Also, he needs a mathematician. I guess just so they can bring up chaos theory. <laughs> a slimy lawyer. And thankfully for us, one of the best female scientists in film who was told to come along for the ride because a paleobotanist might come in handy. As expected, amongst beautiful depictions of the safari park for the ages, shit goes wrong. And everybody's favourite baddie, the T-Rex, gets loose. While the dinos have lunch... The humans scramble to get the hell out of there and Hammond's dreams come crashing down as chaos reigns supreme. Extinction be damned, all hail the Dino King. Jurassic Park. Nice. Nice. Um, Frida, I uh, love this movie so much I can't explain to uh, you how much I love it, how many times I've seen it. Can't so count how good. many times I've seen it. I love it's so movie. good. I feel ashamed because, you know, when we announced it, I was like, we'll see Steven Spielberg overrated. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I was coming off Minority Report and I was like, oh, yeah, mm. okay, fair. Oh, oh, my God. He is, like, amazing. Yeah. For, like, I don't know. I will get, I guess we can, I don't know if we want to, when do we get into why he's so amazing? Now? Now, now. Go ahead and get into now. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Just for the fact that the quality of the CGI holds up, mm. just that fact, yeah, it holds up some magical way. But by the way that they've shot it, yeah, it, it's seamless. It's better than movies that you see today. That yeah, and I, I, that's him, as opposed to the technology, the way they use rain or reaction shots. Like they, mm. it's so clever that you you cannot see the brushstrokes. Yes. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. It is. Mm. It's be- It's so beautifully done. And it's still, to me, it is just still as, like, awesome as the first time, you know? Maybe maybe not exactly as the first time. Because you know that first scene where you see the Brachiosaurus and, like, you just never forget that scene. That moment when they're in the field and they just turn mm. around and they see them right there. Like, that's ingrained in my memory for eternity but still every time i watch the movie i still feel that little like it's coming up it's coming up it's coming up there they are look at them yeah and do you know why that is it's because he doesn't make the fuss about the animals he doesn't it's not about the animals it's about the people always right yeah it's not it's not about like we know the animals are there it's seeing the look on ellie's face before she sees the animal right and then you seeing the animal 
that makes it so special. It's 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 them. It's through their eyes. It sets you up to understand the importance of it through the reactions of the characters. You know, instead yeah. of relying on like here's something fancy for you to look at. Now you you decide how cool yeah. this is. It's like no, these characters are here to tell you you should think this is absolutely fucking amazing. And you and do because yeah. we believe them. And it's just also the tension with the T Rex. It's so it's not about the puppet itself. It's yeah. about the terror of knowing it's somewhere. It's coming. Mm. When and in and like the all the ways that he builds the tension and the the dread. Yeah. And then the monster comes and it's like the impact is so great. Oh, I'm so happy we're doing this today. <laughs> So let's talk about the cast for a little bit. Uh, Starting with Richard Attenborough. Beautiful. Just beautiful. I just like seeing him. Um, Can I give you a little movie trivia? I've got a little bit of movie trivia on each of these guys. Yeah, I love it. Um, Richard Attenborough came out of a 15-year retirement to do this movie. And he said that it was purely because Spielberg had the charm of the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Just like it. Yeah, I mean... He his he does and, and all the characters are so great and all of their, the way this one character like was John Hammond introduced is so fantastic with the helicopter, yeah. and, you know just a, this just like stompy kind of rich guy on everything yeah. and then you know the trailer with the champagne like it's just such a good <laughs> character intro and his character is just so well done you know how he keeps saying I spared no expense. I spared no expense. It's such this weird thing where it's like he's he trashes this dig site. <laughs> he rocks up and yeah. it's like he's got no consideration for what other people are doing because he's so rich that he's just like, oh well, I can just fix it with money. But at the same time, I still like him. Yeah, I mean, he's yes, I don't think, well, not all the bad. You know, he's a baddie to a degree, but yeah, they're not all. We don't hate him. He's not intentionally we might enjoy, bad. Yeah. But we might enjoy his downfall, right? To a degree, yeah. Because yeah. um, he's so arrogant. Next person I want to bring up is uh, mm-hmm. just because we have to. You cannot talk about any movie that has Samuel L. Jackson in it without bringing up Samuel L. Jackson, like. Come on. It's amazing that he's in it. I think like every time I've watched Jurassic Park, I go through the same. Is that? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. You kind of forget. <laughs> um, another little bit of a character trivia for you. His character, Ray Arnold, was supposed to die on screen. And it's so weird to say that because I always felt like, uh, in my mind, I feel like I always imagined that he did. Like every time I see that scene when Ellie goes in, to like where Ray is supposed to be and can't find him and then the arm falls down. I'm always expecting to have seen his death. But what actually happened was um, when he was supposed to fly to Hawaii, there was a hurricane that destroyed some of the sets so he couldn't go and they couldn't film the scene. And you just know like Jackson oh, no would way. have been like, yeah, on screen death, let's go. He would have gone for that. But you know, you see it in your head. Yeah. It's I, in my time. head. Yeah. <laughs> it's in my head. <laughs> But but you don't actually see it. But you see it. It's yeah. I just you know, I always his arm think is it ripped happened. off. So you you yeah. just because because it's in your it's you you've painted the picture yeah. and you don't. It doesn't need to. Um, okay, so the last one I want to bring up is Wayne Knight, uh, who <laughs> plays Dennis Nedry, and I have one more random fact about Wayne Knight for you. This isn't about his character, but just random 
totally random about Wayne Knight. Uh, he used to be a private investigator. Oh, no way. Yeah. After he was on Broadway. <laughs> he went on Broadway, then became a PI for five years. Just, I just, I read that Amazing. and I was just like, this is the weirdest thing and I just need to say it. I need to pass it on to somebody else in the world. So there you go. <laughs> Talk about an amazing character introduction as well. His introduction is just, it's amazing. He's like, he, he can't stop laughing. He's like giggling over the money. You know that whole scene? Yeah. It's just, it, you hate him so much. It is yeah. so, so good. But the fact that the whole system relies on this one guy and he's so messy like oh. like a software engineer would be. And his, it, 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 his, his whole laptop, his whole thing, like, it's his character is so fleshed out there's so much yeah. detail there I, that's great i always enjoy him like he's the baddie but he's like that kind of nervous you know it's that like he is it's like you said he's like a kid it's like he's never done this before and he's gonna try and do it because he's just so greedy and he's just got that little bit of energy about him where you're just kind of going like oh somebody notice he's being super weird <laughs> yeah he can't lie he's like it'll be fine it'll go down for a bit he's like sweating on his brow <laughs> Yeah, it's his detestable. Yeah. And his downfall is so good. Yeah. So good. Oh my god. Um it's such a good scene. It's such a memorable scene as well, just that one. It's mm-hmm. oh, beautiful. It is memorable, isn't it? Yeah. Um do you have anyone else you'd like to talk about? Miguel Sandoval is in it in the beginning. He plays the guy who's like their um the boss in the mines. I don't know if you yeah. know. I mean, you watch Medium. I know you watch Medium. Yeah. He's I a district attorney, Duvalis. Oh, yes. That too he is. God, I, <laughs> no, I did see Medium. I've, it is so many, so many years ago now that I saw Medium. And I saw, I was looking at Miguel Sandova and I was like, I know I've seen you in so many things, but what's that one thing I really know you from? And you're right. It's freaking Medium. District That's attorney. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's my little comments. Mm. So mm-hmm. anyway. Moving along, we're going to get into some of our main topics. Uh, we should talk a little bit about the theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. I've kind of, I'm just going with like kind of how, what I think the theme of the movie is. And I'm sure that there's many themes, but my kind of favorite one is just that main one that is centered around that lunch table conversation about the human influence. Like the whole, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. And when it comes to conservation of animals that are becoming extinct because of our intervention, like in their habitat or our pollution, hunting and all of that, should we consider a reintroduction? But would that stand when we're talking about animals that went extinct before our existence? Because introducing them into our environment, like we can't control their influence on our world. And what's the kind of moral connection with that or the moral um responsibility I guess and who is in charge of this because there's so much research that goes on to into all these kinds of areas throughout the world but the problem is that none of this research is really governed or overseen by central bodies to determine who can and cannot and what they should and should not do which is why you have somebody like John Hammond to be able to come along and go I got lots of money let's do it mm-hmm yeah, I think like my thoughts about the theme are very similar to what you've said, but just more broadly, it was like, what's unnatural? Like if the condors right. are, are reintroducing condors into the place where they've 
been extinct of five years ago is more natural than what they're doing with the dinosaurs. And then this idea of using technology uh, to cut corners, right? Uh, it being unnatural, you know, and because the movie starts with them using the brush to uncover things. Um, and, you know, that's the natural, the labor, the intricacies of all of that kind of thing versus big technology coming right. in feeling unnatural. I think it's like uh, that it's evil and that it takes away something natural about our lives. Um, that was sort of what I was feeling on the whole, what it was saying. This is unnatural. Yeah. And there's something natural about not cutting corners. Um, so very very well formed thoughts coming from Frida tonight yeah <laughs> um and the other thing I thought about was like money 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 yeah. money everyone's sort of happy like who was the people happy with Jurassic Park the people that cared about money right right yeah, who that are the people that won't thing. people who aren't motivated by money and he's like oh I spend no expense I'm not worried I'll make it all back like money 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 yeah money. Yeah. yeah that's the thing it's 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 that if nobody's really governing it and someone has the money to do something, then they can just go ahead and do it. And who's going to stop them from doing it? And you have to rely on the person themselves to recognize where the kind of moral line is as to whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. But if you have someone focusing on money and they see a way to make money, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. That's right. So, yeah. 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 Well, and he says, oh, oh, Disney World, nothing worked in the beginning. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, oh, well, you know, the, the pirates didn't kill the kids when the Pirates of the Caribbean ride broke down. Oh, my God. Yeah, but the pirates weren't real. They didn't fucking reintroduce exactly. pirates. They didn't go back, get some old pirate DNA, make some new pirates and go, there you go. <laughs> Be pirates. Like, yeah. come on. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I'd like to get into tropes. Uh, oh, Farida. <laughs> yes. What is your trope of the week? Evil fat man with ah. the pug nose face. It's called fat bastarditis. <laughs> From tvtropes.com. Once a television character reaches a certain level of tubbiness, the show they are in will lose sympathy for them. It is generally assumed that overweight people are either pathetic obnoxious losers or greedy hedonistic corrupt corporate executives they also tend to be portrayed as ludicrously obsessive eaters and furthermore most are portrayed as lazy having poor hygiene bad grooming and worst of all no fashion sense i think this ticks every box i think so yeah it's like they just went so is this trope written based on dennis nedry (laughs) Or did they go, no. hey, we want to get this character, read this trope and go, there we go, Dennis Nedry, all those things, do it. Uh, honestly, I think it goes further back. Yeah. I'm thinking from the top of my head of like Citizen Kane, this sort of corporate right. exec, like that. It is, it is interesting, man. isn't it? How like that contrast between like that portrayal of, of somebody who's overweight as either being lazy or being really greedy. And you're just like, it doesn't really come go on, together. do better. <laughs> I think in It's a Wonderful Life, the banker that wants to like, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but the guy that mm. wants to like, uh, you know, take all the money. He's like this fat banker too. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It actually doesn't go together. But that evil, evil fat man. Yeah. But that, no, I think you're right though. And it is, and it's everything that, and Wayne Knight plays that character fantastically well. So you don't want to take anything away from what he's doing, but like, yeah, it is such a, it's such Mm -hmm. a classic thing that we, we still rely on these preconceptions or, or these like society conceptions, things that we have ingrained in our own minds that we've created us to think that Mm -hmm. this person would be evil, bad or lazy. Fat woman as well, yeah. Misery, the Kathy Bates from Misery, Evil Fat Woman, Catherine Mannheim from The Practice, Evil Fat Woman. Yeah, just yeah. That, that fat people are evil. Yeah, so that's that's my trope. Right. What's your trope? <laughs> Don't know how to follow that now. <laughs> uh, I need one second. I didn't write it down. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Love blank. it. I'm staring at it. I'm like, fuck. For the word that Abby hasn't written it down. That's never happened to you. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's my trope. Um, no. Uh, okay. Let me wait one second. I had it. I had it. It was in my mind. What was it? Okay. My trope is centered around Ellie's character. And it's more just about the fact that she has to have a romantic scene sort of vibe. Yeah. You know, yep. like that even though they don't overly highlight her relationship with Dr. Grant and I like that wait what the fuck did I just do I just referred to her as Ellie and him as Dr. Grant fuck that shit her relationship with Alan um, but like <laughs> Dr. Sattler's relationship with Alan um, like they don't highlight that that's not a thing there's a little bit of a thread of the discussion about the kids and stuff that make you realize they are in a relationship you know but it's not a central mm. focus of the story. And you think, oh, that's great. But then you bring in Ian Malcolm, who has to then like be leering all over her because you can't possibly have the woman in the movie without there having to be some form of a thing about her being an interest for a man. Yeah, absolutely. So it was that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it and it doesn't serve the film in any way. No, it's pointless. It, it was so yes. unnecessary. It was just such yes. a clear thing of like, oh, we're not going to highlight that relationship. So she has to have a relationship, like has to look desirable to somebody. Yeah. So we'll bring in... It links in... to my what the fuck. It links to my Excellent. What the okay, we'll come back to that. Right, so let's... Uh, oh, we're going to get into our whole science section now. <gasps> Sorry, I'm very excited. It's like every child's dream. Science! Okay. We've got a good bit to get through here. So I'm kind of, well, I've broken it down into a few different kind of layouts. So we're going to start with the environment, but we're going to start with the very beginning, which is the archaeological dig, right? Yeah. Now, I found this really fascinating because things like this come up all the time with dig sites and I'm really into it. Like, I love this type of a movie and there's so many other things that we can do in the future, like Indiana Jones, The Mummy, all this kind of stuff. Uh, But the thing is, there's a bit of an issue with what they're depicting in the dig itself. And it kind of probably goes for all movies that show the digging up of fossils. The scenes of them showing the skeleton exposed clear as day. It's just not plausible. It might work on things like Time Team. Did you have that show in Australia? No. With Baldrick. Oh, I don't know. Time I don't Team know. with Baldrick. It's great. Uh, it's just this English show where they go around they just like dig up old um, historical sites and stuff and they find like the wall of a building from however long ago but 
like maybe it'll work for things like that like you know buildings and maybe objects but fossilized bone is actually extremely fragile and the idea that you would find a fully formed skeleton under like a thin layer of dirt and then you'd have like some random grad student put their hand in and brush it away is just full movie science there's okay a really good article in slate about this that i'll link to in the show notes but i just want to talk a little bit about how you actually do search for dinosaur bones so the process starts with geological maps to survey areas and find rocks with the right properties that could have dinosaur fossils and then basically they just go looking like there's none of this digging in place and exposing bones fossils can be extremely fragile and the ones that become exposed are even more so so paleontologists will look for shards or like pieces of bone that might lead to an ex- to an enclosed fossil which they'll okay. then carefully cut out in the shape of the bones transport them to a lab where they'll be carefully carefully oh. freed from the rock and while all this is going on they might not even know what they actually have And it can take years for this process to go through. Wow. So taking all that into consideration, (laughs) you've got to have some big dollars, I'm pretty sure. And when you have a rich guy come along and go, I'll fund your dick for three more years, I think the correct response will probably be, where do you want me to go, sir? (laughs) (laughs) That helicopter? Cool, let's go. Let's let's do this. Let's get out of here. You want to wave your propellers over our dick? No problem, that's fine. (laughs) Just leave the suitcase of money right there and let's go look at your (laughs) island experiment thing. (laughs) So speaking of, we should start talking about some of the scientists that we meet in this environment. So this is our first foray into paleontology and you might be forgiven for immediately just thinking dinosaurs. Because that's what I've ever in my entire life just thought. Dinosaurs. That's what paleontologists do. They just do dinosaurs, right? Uh, No, they don't. (laughs) It's actually the study of life of both extinct and living organisms. And by analysing the remains of plants, animals, fungi and bacteria preserved as fossils, scientists can learn about the life and environment of an organism. And as with any field, there are sub-disciplines that narrow the research area down. So we have things like invertebrate paleontology, which is the study of animals who don't have backbones, like worms. We've got micropaleontology, which is the study of microscopic organisms like algae. And then we also have paleogenetics, which is actually a very more new area of research, which is the study of ancient DNA. But in terms of paleontology in this movie, we have Dr. Alan Grant, who is a vertebrate paleontologist who studies the fossils of animals that have backbones. And we have Dr. Ellie Sattler, who is a paleobotanist who studies the fossils of ancient plants. How do you feel about our paleontologists, Frida? Who, me? I feel humbled to give my opinion about them. Okay. We love them. (laughs) Okay. Obviously. (laughs) Who could ever disagree with that? Ah, oh, they're the best. They are. I, I fully believe them. That's something Laura I love Dan. about watching me. Like, it's not even about, you know, being a paleontologist and being like, oh, are they a good paleontologist? It's like, are they a good scientist? As a scientist, do I believe that they're good scientists? They are. They're scientists. I totally believe them. They're so excited about what they're doing. Yes. The, the scene where she sticks her whole hand into a pile of uh, dinosaur poop. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> trying to keep it clean. It's so good. Her enthusiasm in just lunging into a pile of poop. Well, that's like that's that's kind of what I wrote down about both of them as well. It's like they're they're both very practical and scientific, but they also still have that kind of childlike wonder. Like they can see how incredible the dinosaurs are and they're totally awed by the creation of them. But they also like fully acknowledge it's a really terrible idea. Yeah, absolutely. They are, yes, they understand how dangerous so the, the speech with the velociraptor at the beginning that he gives, mm. you know, he's like, I understand that these are dangerous creatures that you never want them like, to be beside you. Are you nuts? <laughs> Although he's excited, he, he can't believe it. Like when they first say that they have a T-Rex, he was almost like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a terrible idea. Uh, it is. And it, but it's just. They have respect. Yeah. That's what it is. Respect. Exactly. And I love, I do love that scene with the Brachiosaurus at the, the Bronchiosaurus, sorry, at the beginning where um, he sees them first. And he has to like get her attention to turn around and see them because she, as a paleobotanist, is so enthralled by this leaf that she's found. And I just love that she's just in that zone where like that, you know, that's her research. And she's just like, this is so exciting. And she hasn't even seen the thing yet because she's like, what the hell? So I just I just (laughs) thought that was a really fun kind of moment for her. Yeah, that was yeah for her in particular brilliant i mean she is like laura dern plays that character absolutely exceptionally well i think and she is one of the best depictions of a female scientist in all of film yeah so sensible Mm. no nonsense yeah no she's just sensible i love her yeah uh do you have anything else you want to say about either of them just as sam neil's accent came out um when he's like Get off the fence. <laughs> Get away. Get away from the fence. That's all. I'm just okay. always fascinated, as you know, by people's fake accents yeah. <laughs> in movies. I love when it comes out, their real accent. Because yeah. it's so goofy. That little moment takes you away from it. You realize, like, oh, yeah, you're acting like that guy. Like, so this is such a random, totally not a part of it. But uh, it's the biggest one for me is whenever Benedict Cumberbatch tries to act anything that's not British, I just can't. I look, I'm like, you're British. Stop it. Stop trying to be American. Yeah, you're exactly. not. You're, shh. <laughs> shh. Um, okay. So goofy. So aside from our paleo, oh, paleo, bleh, aside from our paleontologists, we have everybody's favorite mathematician, Dr. Ian Malcolm, and our return to Jeff Goldblum. Frida, do you know that this is our third movie with Jeff Goldblum and in each movie he's played a scientist? Yeah, totally. Of course. <laughs> what a stupid question, Abby. What the fuck? Come on. This is between The Fly and Men in Black. You can tell by the hair. Men in Black? No, Independence Yeah, that's Day. one. Yeah. Oh, you can tell by the hair. <laughs> Oh, God, are we going to have a Jeff Goldblum hair moment? We've done the glasses. Go on, do the hair. No, it's just mullet. It's just like midway between <laughs> fly. Yeah, it's basically just mullet. Amazing. And his big, that like oversized leather jacket. I'm just so, I'm just, I cringe. I cringe. Like the fly, here for it. Independence Day, here for it. 
<laughs> this one, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with you. It's weird. The hair. Are we just talking about, about the hair? Like, his whole look. Oh, okay, I'm, okay, I'm just, so look. Like, okay. The, just the whole thing. The whole thing. But he's, yeah, he's supposed to be that. It, it is a bit weird to me because I'm like, I don't want to say that like mathematicians aren't like that. But I'm also like, I don't know if this is the exact go-to that I would have of like picturing a mathematician. I've met a mathematician that had a jacket like that. Okay. That was kind of like, I'm a cool mathematician. Actually, two. I've met two. Oh, well, then they are. I went for an interview with somebody that was a mathematician head of a mathematics group, and he had a leather jacket like that. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't We're want not to be doing in this, this. group. <laughs> this is not the one for me. <laughs> and I met another one who had a jacket, and it was like, it was like, dude, like, it's never going to happen. Just be yourself, man. Like... You're going to be a nerd to everybody no matter what. You know it. Nerds leather can wear leather jackets. Tinted glass or not. Tinted Hang on a second. Nerds can wear leather jackets. I have one. <laughs> it it's not allowed. leather jackets. It's that leather jacket. All right. That particular one. Okay. <laughs> it's not about. Just be yourself. <laughs> Maybe they were. <laughs> I know we're being so we're being so critical of a mathematician right now but I don't know but I do I like it's weird because like I do know physicists and mathematicians that are like you know there's just something about the personality that he portrays in the movie where I'm just like firstly I'm very confused as to why he's there other than to just be the reason to bring up chaos theory and then I'm also like just kind of a little bit confused about this kind of... Is he just the, like, he's the bad boy of maths? Is that what it is? He's the bad boy of maths. Jesus, it's pretentious. Come on, like, you have to admit, it's pretentious. I, I love him to the end of my day. I pledge my allegiance to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> now until forever, no problem. It's weird, though. Like, it's it's not... It's, it's pretentious. It's yeah. super pretentious. But he did, like do this whole sexy science. I, yes, yeah. he introduced this whole idea of like a sexy scientist and I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful because I have done that to other people, what he was trying to do to her. <laughs> I've done that many times before. <laughs> many times. And it works. It works. <laughs> I've done it. I've used these things. Oh my God. I'm grateful. But when I see it on screen, I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. You know, what picture you yourself as that person in the bar who's like, oh yeah, like, come here to me. It's I'm so just crazy how light can be like both particle and a wave. <laughs> Let me explain it to you in this private little corner over here. If you give me your hand and, you know, it just trickles down this side and then it just it trickles down that side. <laughs> I love it. I fucking love it. Um, okay, so I loved his speech, though. Yes. I mean, his speech that he gives is just that's the that's the center of the entire movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I believe you're. We're going to get into that in a little bit. So before we move on, though, we have to give an honorable mention to Doctor Henry Wu, played by, as you said, a B.D. Wong. Wong. Bum, 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 bum. So bum, bum. 
we have to because Dr. Wu is the geneticist who recreates the dinosaurs. And while in this movie he has a pretty small role, his character is a slow burn to arguably becoming the overarching antagonist of the entire franchise. Oh. Have, is he? Have you seen the other movies? Nope. Right then. Well, then. Yeah. Spoiler. Uh, so it is. It's just very fascinating how we get like, we get a little bit of Henry Wu in this movie. And then as you kind of move through them, you just, his his role uh, in the kind of progression of Jurassic world kind of vibe uh, just keeps going in. So yeah, I just feel like you can't, we can't talk about this and then not bring up Henry Wu. But speaking yeah, or of... Yeah, Biddy Wong is a star. Yeah, yeah. He is, isn't he? He's just one of these, you're just like, I always, I don't know how to describe it, but you know when there's just people you just like watching? Whatever they're doing, you're just like, you just like yeah. watching them. You're a star, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just is. He's got a twinkle in his eye, that's what it is. Oh, he has yeah. a twinkle. He does. <gasps> Can't that's such a that. good way to Can't put it. Can't bottle that. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Dr. Wu... That brings us into another science environment in the movie, which is in the form of the genetics lab in the park itself, where there appears to be absolutely zero safety or security in place to stop guests that are on like a theater park ride from just busting on into the fucking genetics lab and looking at baby dinosaurs being born. Like, what is going on? (laughs) What are you doing? I I hadn't thought that one through. I just I found it really annoying the fact that they were able to get up out of this ride just go through a door just that that was it just through the door there they really hadn't planned for the fact that people might want to steal anything from this place <laughs> they hadn't thought of it it's like they never thought of that people might be after things John John Hammond's just a little bit too grandpa-y you know he's just a little bit too yeah. like everyone will just be so amazed and enthralled by the whole wonder of it all because it's so cool that everyone, oh, yeah. you know, we just got to share it. And it's like, you don't want to share too much of it, man. <laughs> I loved his little video thing, by the way. The oh, whole, oh d- hello. I, it's cr- a classic. His little video pr- presentation that with him, with baby him. Is incredible. The taking the drop of blood. It's still great. <laughs> so awkward and bumbling. <laughs> the way he misses the cues. Like, <laughs> just everything. It's everything <laughs> a science presentation should be and more. <laughs> absolutely so corny so charming Um, do you have anything you want to say about the the lab environment thing i mean it's a lab it's just a bunch of people around doing science yeah well the embryos thing you know with the embryos was just incredibly sleek i mean it was just so sleek yeah. And it looked futuristic and cool. That's just a small comment. Nothing else. Yeah, I like the layout of it, but I just didn't like, I mean, like I said, also, I'm not a geneticist, so I'm sure like maybe someday in the future we'll get somebody who works in genetics to talk about this and maybe they'll explain everything that's wrong with it. But I can't say for shizzle. So, um, <laughs> right. Okay. Here comes the science. Ba, 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 ba. That's it. Okay. So shall we, shall we get into some movie science i can't wait bitch hey okay <laughs> so <laughs> it's good i like your enthusiasm thank you <laughs> i want to start by giving you a little bit of fun movie trivia because i'm just down for the movie trivia um michael critchen wrote the novel jurassic park in 1990 Crichton. Crichton. is that how you say that word i'm 
pretty sure. It's but C R I C H T O N. So I just don't know how to pronounce it. Crichton. Yeah, it's Crichton. It's Crichton. Okay. Crichton. Crichton. We'll say. Cool. So he wrote the novel in 1990 and he based the character of Alan Grant on real life paleontologist Jack Horner. He spent 10 years working on this book. He said that he did about seven years of just accumulating information and research and then three years writing it. Yeah, his books are very well researched. It's like they're so impressive. Yeah, I just I just love yeah. that. It's like that kind of so I just kind of feel like, do you know what? Anyone out there who's trying to be creative right now and trying to do something and you're feeling like you should rush it. Don't, you know, take the time, do it <laughs> properly and you might come up with something magical. Um, yeah, in all of our. So I just want to say in all of our discussion about the science of this as a movie, we have to give credit throughout. Just just take for granted that uh, credit throughout all of this is given to Michael Crichton after like for all of the research that he put into developing this story. Um, so anyway, after 10 years of getting this to book form, it then only took three years before it was released as a movie. So he did a good job. And in what can only be described as kismet itself. Did I get that right? Yeah, kismet. Uh, Jack Horner himself was the science consultant on the movie. Oh, that's nice. So... We're going to get into some genetics and dinosaur stuff now. But first, I will say that there are some inaccuracies in the movie. But what's interesting is that if you look it up, you'll see a lot of articles that say like, what Jurassic Park got wrong, blah, 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 blah. Uh, You have to remember that scientific research is constant and it's ever evolving. And we gather more information and develop new techniques and technology. We can then deepen our understanding. So I don't feel like it should be so much about what Jurassic Park got wrong. And it should more be about like, what did they know at the time? Like, what did they know throughout the 80s and the early 90s when this was all going on? And then what do we actually know now? You know, so right. like, we're not trying to be overly critical about like, because how the fuck are you supposed to know when something happened only in the last 10 years? Anyway, there's a great quote from an interview with Jack Horner, which I think perfectly lays out the mixture of science and fiction in this movie. And I also actually really appreciate it in general about all movies. So he said of everybody's favorite Steven Spielberg. If I could demonstrate that something was true or not true, then he would go with that. But if I had some question about it and we didn't really have much evidence, then he would go with whatever he thought would make the best movie. Yeah, sounds about par with a lot of the other good science consultancy yeah. that we've seen, isn't it? Yeah. You have to respect it. But now let's criticise it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so before we actually just get into the dinosaurs and then the genetics and stuff, let's just talk for uh, just a couple of things about what we actually do know about dinosaurs now. Um, that maybe were or were not portrayed in the movie. So the first thing that is a main thing that a lot of people will kind of highlight as an inaccuracy is the colours. Because we now know that dinosaurs would have had feathers and they do say, Jack Horner said he felt it's the biggest inaccuracy because he was like, they would actually be very colourful. But you kind of have to give it to Spielberg because Spielberg's like, yeah, but a colourful dinosaur is not scary. (laughs) <laughs> except for i mean that frill neck one the what in nature the frill neck one the one that's like <sighs> the colors came out for wayne knight's death. oh yeah yeah that's scary 
I think in nature, yeah. color is like, don't fuck with me. I think you can. Yeah, you're right. You can portray it in a way that can be scary. I'm always scared. I walk past a peacock. It's terrifying. Beautiful, but terrifying. <laughs> I don't know about those fat caterpillars that are like super colorful. And it's basically being like, don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you up. <laughs> um, well... So there's, even though we may have learned new things as we've kind of gone on about the colors of the dinosaurs and stuff like that, obviously with the first movie being made in 93, they just, you know, you're going to keep that theme going through. You're not going to suddenly change how the dinosaurs look in, you know, the 2020 movies when you're kind of like, well, (laughs) cool, they might have been colorful, but like, look, this is what we went with, scaly and scary, so... Now, we do have one big thing that we do know for sure now. And I think they did try to depict it in the movie, but it didn't kind of go down so well. But how do we know that um, dinosaurs would have had feathers, Frida? Because there is birds. Birds. We're we're pretty, pretty sure. Yeah. As sure as you could be, I guess, that there's birds. So how how do we know there's birds? uh, so when the asteroid hit like 65 million years ago, the only animals that could survive are ones that could burrow underground or hide in the water, right? Right. Little animals or water animals, right? So in Uni of Adelaide researchers okay. found that some dinosaurs did survive, okay? They studied dino skeletons over a period of 50 million years. Like they didn't study it over a period of 50 million years. The skeletons were over a period of 50 million years. And they found that theropods, which are the carnivorous dinosaurs, like that include the Tyrannosaurus rex, actually became smaller and smaller over time. Right. They did. Over time, they became smaller and smaller and smaller. Because they are carnivorous, they don't need to be super big. Because it's the leaf-eating dinosaurs. Right. Well, leaf-eating animals actually need to be really, really big because they have an enormous digestive system. Oh, okay. Carnivorous animals can actually afford to be much smaller. So why is it evolutionarily, evolutionarily, evolutionary? Evolutionarily (laughs) advantageous to be small. You can go up a tree. You can go burrow underground hide but Mm. because they had feathers they can go up a tree they could glide etc etc and that basically all these things made them able to survive the asteroid so there's a lot of evidence for the fact that they eventually became voids that's amazing yeah I kind of heard it, it, but I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know. I knew I heard it from somewhere, and then I remembered it was from Meryl Street. Oh. The Natural History Museum in the Upper West Side in Manhattan. When you go there and you listen to the videos, the voices of Meryl Streep, and she's talking about the dinosaurs became birth. That woman. It's cool. That's amazing. Okay, well, now, now... Since since uh, since you we are fairly certain that dinosaurs would have come from birds, what do you think a dinosaur would sound like? Cock cock. <laughs> well, so this is one of the things that Jack Horner says about the movie is that it, the growling. A Well, yeah, they apparently they probably. All right, okay, I'm just gonna just right. We just let her keep going. Jesus. 
Are you done? I'm referencing something. Oh, okay. Cool. If you know, you know. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Well, as the dinosaurs led to birds, then it is probably more likely that they would have sang. But again, how scary is a singing T-Rex? I mean, maybe like a whale song. Because they were big, but it wasn't underwater. But maybe it was more like, (laughs) I mean, I do kind of feel like it can still eat you, so (laughs) it's still scary. (laughs) Are you still? (laughs) Do you want to do us some sounds? That's what you can do. (gasps) There you go. There's a task for you now, Frida. Make us us some music that sounds like dinosaurs singing. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sorry. We are going to get into some dinosaurs now. Dinosaurs! Now, I have a little bit on each of the dinosaurs in the movie. Just want to talk a little bit about them. Um, But we have a special guest star coming in for our final dinosaur. So we're going to start with uh, the Brachiosaurus, which is my favourite. I have no idea why. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, why? Because he's cute and friendly and vegetarian and not going to eat you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I love them as well. Um, so these guys are sauropods. Don't know how to say that word, but that's what I'm going with. Um, and they existed in the late Jurassic period. So at least they do belong in this movie. Do you want to know what their generic name means in Greek? Or translates from Greek as? Yes. Arm lizard. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) These guys were around 18 to 21 meters long. Big. They ate vegetation that could be up to 30 feet high. But they couldn't stand on their hind legs. Um, as the movie depicts them doing that to get up and eat. But uh, okay. for the most part, they're like pretty accurate representation in the movie. If we take away the fact that they're not singing and they don't have feathers and they're not colorful. <laughs> then we have the uh, Dilophosaurus. And these are the squealy little guys that take out Dennis Nedry. They were theropods from the early Jurassic period. The genus means, the genus name, sorry. You know what the genus name means? Two crested lizard. Nice. Now, because they have the crowns. In reality, they were about seven meters long. They were actually large predatory dinosaurs. So, in comparison with the, like the little cutie pies we have in the movie, um, but the movie also <laughs> depicts them as having neck frills and being able to spit venom, which is not the case for our actual dilophosaurus. Uh, so they're not massively accurate in terms of the depiction in the movie. And it's actually, uh, Jack Horner actually noted it as being probably the most fictionalized dinosaur in the movie. The, uh, yeah, I, when, that, when that came in the movie, sorry, I just, yeah. I just, I thought, how would they, how would we know if they spit, split venom and what it was, whether it looked like tar? Like, how would, how would we know this? But you're saying it's not true. No, huh. no true. Okay. No go. The next one we have is the Gallimimus. Hopefully I'm saying it right. Uh, Gallimimus is a theropod dinosaur from the late Cretaceous period. Get out of this movie. Um, (laughs) These are the herd of dinos that Grant and the kids meet in the field. 
This is my favorite thing. Do you know what the generic name means? What? Chicken mimic. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, they would have been about six meters long and they for sure would have had feathers. Uh, they're actually also referred to as ornithomimid. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> ornithomimid. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, but it re- basically they resemble, they have a resemblance to ostriches. Uh, they are fleet ah, animals yeah. and they use their speed to outrun, pet- uh, to outrun predators. So it's actually fairly accurate in the movie. Gallimimus. Nice. Next up we have just, I mean, one of the most recognizable dinosaurs in any movie, a Triceratops. It's a ceratopsid dinosaur from the late Cretaceous period. Bye bye, Tracy. Get out. Uh, Get out. Let's get out. (laughs) Out of here. One of the last known non-avian dinos. And it was wiped out in the extinction event. Now, the name means three-horned face. And it would have been up to nine meters long. Random fact... The Tracy in the movie, as I said, it was a full animatronic, uh, but it took eight puppeteers to operate him. Love it. Also, in the book, it's actually a Stegosaurus, but uh, Steven Spielberg changed it to Triceratops because it's his favorite dinosaur. (laughs) Says maybe he can do what he wants. (laughs) Also, it's in the wrong era, but whatevs. Guess. Right. I'm just Googling Stegosaurus. Because I, I get confused. It's all very confusing. Well, there's a lot of them, and you know. Uh, then we have our, our penultimate dino, the Tyrannosaurus. Tyrannosaurus from a theropod from the Upper Cretaceous period. Get right out of this movie! <laughs> Would have hung out with Tricy. About 12.3 meters long. One of the largest known land predators, top of the food chain. Random T-Rex fact. They have a 5,440 kg bite force. Frida, they can crush bone. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. Wouldn't want to get in front of those guys. They probably had a top speed of about 27 kilometers per hour. So they wouldn't have been able to run as as fast as depicted in the movie to like catch the jeep but also in the movie they said that um he had his movement was based on vision and there's a lot of stuff that kind of says like oh that's not true and it's like yeah but you know at the time they kind of thought it might have been true but now more research has shown that um uh, tyrannosaurus actually would have had very good vision um but yeah of course t-rex should have been colorful and covered in feathers i want to see that t-rex someone show me that one (laughs) I know, seriously. But also, who cares? Because, like, love it. Do you know what? This is actually a, a similar thing. It reminds me of the whole, you know, those Grecian statues that are white? Yeah. All these great ancient Greek. This, this, there's enough evidence that we now know those things were covered in a lot of colorful paint. Oh. It just suits people to think of them as white. But actually, yeah. no, it wasn't. They've been seeing paint flecks on those statues for a very long time of people wow. have been in denial it's been like controversial <laughs> it's true i love it yeah the statues okay now when it comes to jurassic park the scary bad mother of the movie is most definitely the door opening bloodthirsty velociraptors and now we need to introduce a science consultant to discuss velociraptors right. let me let them in one second okay. 
Oh, rough! <laughs> Here we are. This is Abby. Now we have our. Um, so he's been researching dinosaurs for a couple of years now at the University of um, Paran, and <laughs> we're introducing a very special guest. Yes, it's dinosaur expert. Raf, Raf, say hi. Hi. This is Raf. Raf, how long have you been interested in dinosaurs? Well, a pretty long time. About about three years. Now, about I'd yeah. Say. Yeah, three years you'd say. Um, and do you like? Have you seen Jurassic Park? Well, I've only seen the cartoon. Yes, there's a cartoon. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was a cartoon. Well, yeah. So we're actually talking right now about dinosaurs, and we come to the subject of the Velociraptor. I understand that you know a thing or two about velociraptors. Would you like to tell us what are velociraptors? Well, they're raptors. Raptors are are things that they've been alive since the Triassic period and they're still alive now. Sorry? They're still alive now? (gasps) Yeah, but not those raptors. There's a lot of raptors. the groups of raptors include eagles, hawks, owls, kestrels, ospreys, fa- and fa- falcons and vultures. Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and they're also really very intelligent velociraptors. And there's a lot of species of raptors in, in the, the whole world. There's about two, 220 around out there there was still loads wow so what's the connection between raptors in the triassic era and raptors now well i'll t- i'll tell you this they each had raptor a raptor is something with their three signs that a curved sharp beak really big talent and eyes in the front of their heads all these animals have them that's how, that's how you check. Ah, and is it true? Like, what was their claws, like the velociraptor claws? How sharp are we talking? Well, velociraptors, they just have to be sharper. Velociraptors took it to, the, to, took it to another level. Like the ones today, the, some, of the, some of the ones with the, with the most powerful are harpy eagles. But now we're speaking... The, the most powerful ever. There's, there's one raptor, I can't remember what it's called, that has one that's probably as tall as you. The claw? Yeah, claw that's like as tall as a person. Oh my God. Tallest animal with claws to, the animal with the biggest claws today are probably eye eyes, but they're actually small in size. This is from the Triassic era, the claws are as big as us. No, yeah, but eye eyes, those are the longest today, but, they're, but their actual bodies are pretty small. Uh-huh. That's crazy. And the Velociraptor, they, they they would be able to just climb up a tree with nothing but their claws. The claws are like pickaxes. So is that why we understand that they became birds eventually? Because they started climbing trees? Yeah. Most of them back then, they, could, they couldn't fly, but they could glide. Mm. Now, now stuff can do actual fl- flight. Because you, you want to know the difference between flying and gliding. Love to. Well, gliding is like when you jump, like not all flying lizards, flying frogs. Have you heard of those? Yeah. Well, those, th- those use gliding because they have webbed stuff. 
so, so that just helps them like m jump and then move really fast by and squirrels do that too the only mammal that actually flies it to their bats oh. because they actually flap their wings because it because if you flap the wings then you know you're flying if if they don't, they're probably gliding. Or if you barely even see the wings, then they're hovering. That's just flying and going in the same place. The only, the only birds that probably that can do them are, are kestrels that, and uh, hummingbirds. They live today. Hum kestrels are raptors and hummingbirds aren't. Oh, okay. This is really fascinating. Raph, thank you so much for telling us about velociraptors. Is there any? Can you tell us what's your favorite dinosaur? Uh, Before you go, speak straight into the mic. What's your favorite dinosaur? Coronosaurus. Tell us about the Coronosaurus. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's the biggest plesiosaur ever, and and it had and it had teeth like a giant, like a giant crocodile. Even oh. though there are such things as giant crocodiles, like Sarcosuchus. <laughs> Definitely Coronosaurus is my favorite. Amazing. Amazing. All right. <laughs> Thank you that so much. Amazing. Thank you so much for our guest scientists or scientists of the future, but general dinosaur enthusiast. Enthusiasm. <laughs> enthusiast. Enthusiast. That's the word. Raph. Well done. <laughs> That's the word. That's the word. All right, Raph. Off you go. Thanks, Back Raph. to whatever you were doing before. Watching StarCraft. Watching StarCraft. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Raph. That's adorable. That's my child. <laughs> How about he goes? <laughs> How long have you been studying dinosaurs? It's like pretty long time. Three years. Yeah. Three years. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Well done. Mm. Well done. Well done for Me. birthing that child. <laughs> <laughs> well done for rearing him. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, okay, so that is our dinosaurs that we have actually in the movie. So shall we talk a little bit about how you make one? What? Do you want to make oh. a dinosaur? <laughs> it's not a baby, Frida. A dinosaur. How you make a dinosaur. Yeah, okay, yeah. Genetics <laughs> <Jesus>. time. <laughs> okay. So as we said, paleontology is a field of research that deals with the study of fossils. And there are different types of fossils out there. Some can actually tell us information on how an organism would have lived. And one thing that the movie gets right is the depiction of amber preserving a mosquito. When resin drips down a tree trunk, it can trap small insects and it hardens over time, turning into a fossil. It becomes amber. What's really cool is that amber fossils of frogs and lizards have been found. And while it may seem like it's a destructive method, it has actually preserved things like dragonfly wings. And this is my favorite one. Ants in the process of eating leaves. <laughs> oh my god, that's a that's a callback to a girl with all the gifts. Ant in the process of eating a leaf oh. dies, fungus grows. Oh yes. Oh wow, love it. Love when we connect back. Love when we connect through movies. And speaking of I connecting know. through movies, in this movie, we are led to believe that the mosquito has blood inside that is preserved in the amber. Like Captain America on ice. And mm. when you think about scientists being able to determine what ants ate by their fossilized remains and mosquitoes suck blood. Uh, so to take the idea then that the blood is preserved and blood is DNA, we can extract DNA from blood. 
it just doesn't seem so far-fetched when you kind of think about it in that respect, right? No, it doesn't. But it might have seemed more plausible at the time of writing the book, though, because more recent research has highlighted a couple of problems. Firstly, scientists haven't actually been able to show any evidence that Amber has a protective enough environment to preserve ancient DNA. It tends to preserve the husk of the animal, but not the soft tissue. Secondly, these days, our understanding of DNA shows that it degrades over time. So DNA actually has a half-life of about 521 years. So even if blood could be found preserved in the fossils of a different kind, there's, it's not necessary, like not, there wouldn't necessarily be DNA present. And it's not to say that ancient DNA cannot be preserved and found, but to date, the oldest DNA discovered was one million years old, which is super impressive, right? That's amazing. Isn't it? It's boggling. Yeah. It's just not 66 million years old, which is (laughs) far away away from 66. (laughs) Needing that for dino DNA. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... If we just take it that the DNA has been extracted, right? If we just take that as like, okay, they they were able to do it. How would you then grow your own dinosaur? Now, we've talked a bit about genetics between annihilation with Hox genes. We have had Captain America and the fly both looking at epigenetic modification. But here we're not exactly modifying the DNA. We're attempting to clone it. Well, the movie is saying it's cloning it by filling in some gaps. We did a tiny little bit of on cloning, I think, when we did our moon episode. Remember when we got all our Sams? Yeah, absolutely. We've actually talked about genetics way more than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, let's come up a lot. Now, assuming you could in fact extract DNA from a a fossil, you then have the genetic blueprint for your dinosaur. But does it mean that you can clone it? Well, there's two ways to clone an animal. First, you have embryo twinning. And this is where an embryo is split in half Each one is then placed in a uterus and they will each grow into two separate animals that share the same genes. Then we have what is called somatic cell nuclear transfer. Somatic cells are the cells that make up, like they're all the cells that make up an organism and they contain two full sets of chromosomes. So the thing about somatic cells though is that they're not the cells that make up the sperm or the egg cells. So to clone an animal, a scientist would remove the nucleus and DNA from an egg cell transfer the somatic cell from the animal you want to clone into the egg cell then the egg will develop into an embryo containing the donor genes you put that embryo into a female uterus and grow it into a baby but the (laughs) dinosaur baby dino the main thing here though is that in order to do this you need to have an intact and viable cell where are we going to get that from yeah so The thing is, while Jurassic Park might say that what they're doing is cloning, it actually seems to be a bit more in the realm of genetic engineering because they don't have a full, they don't have a viable cell to clone. What they have is DNA that has gaps in it. And in the movie, they decide, hey, let's use DNA from a frog to fill in the gaps. What might be the main issue here? Frogs are tiny. (laughs) That's it. And dinosaurs are big. <laughs> that's exact. That's how it works. <laughs> okay. No, there is, there's a couple of issues, right? So the first one really though is that without the full info, so they're saying they have DNA with gaps and without the full information, you can't sequence the genome. 
if you don't have the full genome, you can't tell where the gaps are. So how do you use DNA to build an animal when you don't know what it is that you have? So it's just not a thing. You just can't. Like you need to have, you initially need to know what the full sequence is, what the full genome is, and then have genome, and then have samples that have gaps in it where you can go, oh, okay, we know what's supposed to be there so we can fill it in. Like how do they know what's supposed to be there? Cutting away, putting in. Yeah. So instead they're just kind of like, hey, let's use a frog. Which... Uh, just why? throw one DNA at the other DNA and it attaches. But the thing is, there's no commonality between dinosaurs and frogs. Why would, if you're going to do it, why would you even use a frog? Like, we've just talked about it. Use bird DNA. Hey. <laughs> like, what? So do you think that this was just a pure plot device just so that they could use the frog that changes sex? Yes. Right, like I was going to say because of the plot yeah. device. It's the only reason to do it. Because also, if you're a geneticist and you're trying to build a dino that's of one sex only, and then you fill in the DNA gaps using a species that can change sex, get the fuck out. Fired from science. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that is super ridiculous. <laughs> it's just... If, when you put it that way. <laughs> um... Like, yeah. Maybe they should have put a bit more safeguard in there so that they couldn't get around that female thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So assuming that we can actually make a dinosaur, which we can't, you would then obviously need to enclose it into some safe place because it's a big, scary predator and we're soft and yummy. (laughs) But alas... (laughs) When you're in the realm of Jurassic Park and you have a greedy dick like Dennis hanging around. Someone who can just shut down the system to steal some samples and introduce chaos into our world. (laughs) Well, it's funny you should say that because chaos theory, which so Jeff Goldblum is the chaotician. Chaos (laughs) Chaos <laughs> mathematician. Whatever <laughs> mathematician. I, I, I'm a I'm a chaotician. Um, so chaos is about a complex system with many 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 variables existing naturally, with many many interactions and higher order interactions between those things. So much so that a very small change leads to unpredictable results because of the, co- the complex nature of that environment. That's it. That's chaos theory, right? right? If you have a, a very controlled system with a few interactions, you can apply things like, you know, Newtonian, a Newtonian perspective to be able to predict the motion of something subject to something else, right? Okay. But even then, just, and, and I'm, I have to come back to what you said about Nedry. I'll, I'll explain why that made me twitch a bit. <laughs> okay, take a pool table, a perfect pool table and a pool ball perfectly round. You can, to a degree, predict what happens when you hit the pool ball because right. that environment is like perfect and there's only a, a finite number of interactions. But even then, there's imperfections in the layer of, in the surface of the pool ball, of the pool table. There's... um traffic that goes by leading to tremors that's unpredictable or 
so many things sweaty hands oh. it's so unpredictable what actually might happen when you hit the ball and and it is impossible to predict what will happen every single time even in the most controlled environments right yeah and so that's the whole message here which is like you can't put something in a system that is that complex which is subject to sort of natural order and expect to predict everything that will happen right and they kind of show that obviously when they, you can't run a tour and just say that the Tyrannosaurus Rex will be there when you're at the tour. It's an animal. It's subject to moods or, you know, these things are very – just because you've placed a goat there, it doesn't mean it's hungry. doesn't mean it's not tired, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't predict these things. However, having said that, the movie has a saboteur, which is you just explained. He, he's responsible yeah. for a lot of what happens. That's not in the context of chaos theory. Chaos theory doesn't describe a someone who sabotages. It describes a natural system where you can't predict the roll-on effect of one small change. Right. So the saboteur has nothing to do with the chaos theory. He sabotages on purpose where there were safeguards. So it's kind of outside the realm of what is being just described by chaos theory, actually. Okay. Okay. That's the, that's the thing. It doesn't account for sabotage. Right. It accounts for natural interactions complex structures that are, exist naturally and roll on effects which happen without control so uh that isn't included that's not part of that's so it's like a bit in the movie he's talking about chaos theory and unpredictability um maybe maybe the safeguards would have been enough but that's not the problem in the movie the problem in the movie is that somebody sabotaged the system and the power was off and everything like that right so do you think so sorry go on no, no that's it yeah that's that's the thing do you think it's a contradiction then for them to be setting up the story that's supposed to be like a depiction of chaos theory but then they've intervened by creating the saboteur i think it is a contradiction uh, or i think it's they needed something to really push the story along but th- they make a very good point about you can't expect to control something yeah. like that because nature is just it happens it it finds a way yeah um but maybe part of that is part of that maybe that he's a saboteur is a natural part of the system yeah maybe. i was just thinking that you, you can't think? control but that's not how what... people will react and how people will behave in this kind of a situation as well and so him becoming the saboteur is a part of that kind of like system that you're trying to it, control it... that you can't really Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Unsure, unsure. But it's not what Jeff Goldblum was talking about. Right. He was talking about it. He was just like, you can't expect to control something like that. Um, maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. But then again, even without the saboteur, a storm, there are other things that could happen that could yeah. just change things. Um, yeah. But so it is interesting about Nedry. It's interesting. Right. But it doesn't take away the point. Yeah, um, that's the small changes can lead to drastic consequences that you couldn't have predicted, and it or account for, and it did lead to some very drastic consequences. That's right, T Rex flipping a car. <laughs> it's wonderful, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for that yeah. because I didn't really understand the chaos theory thing, and even the way like um, Goldblum is explaining it in the movie. Unhelpful. <laughs> It's just like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I know. 
it wasn't helpful. I, I thought I would never understand it either, but yeah. I was like, I managed to kind of, I'm sure I don't understand it. I'm sure that's <laughs> Hollywood understanding what I've just said, but I still feel like I'm like, yeah. ah, I kind of, it, I yeah. kind of get it. And actually it helped me with research for another movie we're doing. Okay. That's good. I won't tell you which okay, one. Okay, cool. It'll come up. <laughs> See, this is the thing we build. It's I love week. that we build. It works. It's helpful. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of, I think I think that's kind of about it, really. Did you have anything more? Can I give an honorable honorable mention? Absolutely. To the little hacking bit at the end with oh, the girl yeah. when she's like, "I'm a hacker, I'm a hacker," and then at the end when they're trying to get the system back up because Samuel Jackson's murdered, and she goes, "Wait." This is a Unix system. I know this. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she sits down and you see the graphics. So they're like these graphics of files. She's like, maybe this is the right file. It's not the right file. <laughs> is this the right file? This is the right file. <laughs> That's what she does. <laughs> I always enjoy uh, there's certain things that I always just know you're going to come with you know like when it comes to like these little hacking things you really have a thing for it and I love it so much <laughs> it was just it was just just awesome yeah. just fucking fantastic <laughs> oh my god that's it <laughs> well excellent well then that's the that's the science of Jurassic Park and we are now going to move into everyone's favorite moment. Play some music. Play it again, Sam. What the What the What the fuck? Frida, what is your what the fuck moment? Please do tell. <laughs> so you've broken your leg. Look, I've never broken my leg personally. Sorry, I know where you're going. <laughs> Go on. But if I should ever break my leg, I don't think that I would be propping myself up with my oily chest exposed to the world. Looking like that. Oh my God. My dad broke his leg when I was little and that's not how he laid around. It's very... What the fuck? Because he's yeah, you're right. He's propped up on his elbow, and it's and he's just it's like he's just chilling out what in bed. The <laughs> fuck! What the fuck! It's hilarious. I forgot that that was from this movie. As it was coming along, I was like, "Oh my god, that's from this movie." That's that's about to come. Oh, there it is. What a joke! What what? Oh I don't. God. I can't transport myself back to the minds of these people. <laughs> What what the hell? Although Jeff was the, although, he was the sex. Needless Yes, I would say um gratuitous sexualizing of a male is yeah. kind of refreshing yeah. because a lot of movies have gratuitous sexualizing of females, which is just females getting attacked and yeah. you know, they have to needlessly sexualize them. So I'm like upon reflection needlessly sexualizing someone who's been heavily injured is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> and i'm I like as how you talked yourself about around with this this is great <laughs> started out I as like what the fuck and now it, she's like I'm, champion it <laughs> i'm like embarrassed to and be enjoying it i, I feel so confused <laughs> please save me and tell me what the fuck um, immediately oh mine is 
Mine, mine is just like, it's, oh, every single time I watch this movie and I feel really bad because it's not the actor's fault. I just want to highlight that. It is not the actor's fault. But sweet mother of Jesus, why the fuck would you turn on the flashlight? And then when you have turned on the flashlight, why have you not turned it off? Why are you just sitting there in the car pointing the flashlight at the fucking T-Rex's eye? Turn off the light. Jesus, turn off the light. <laughs> but the, the other character, isn't the other character saying turn it off? Yes. Everyone is yeah. shouting at her to turn it off and she's just sitting turn there. The turn off she's the just light. Like... <laughs> it absolutely... I just, every time I watch it, I'm so frustrated. It's so, just one of those moments in a movie where you're just like, I just want to grab her and just shake her or slap her or just be like, just cop on, turn off the lights. Also, why was there like cups of water in the van? I love that there was like plastic cups of water in the van just so that so, they can have yeah. that scene where it was like, boom. It's literally the only reason. Boom. <laughs> what, they would have bottles, actually. And honorable what the fuck mentioned was... Goldblum with his hands all over Dr. Sattler. Yeah. All over. What the fuck? Yeah. Get your hands so off her. What the fuck? Stop. Touching her hair. <laughs> what the fuck? But the little chat between Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum and he's like, hey, uh, um, hey, Dr. Sattler, is she uh, available? And he's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, oh, are you and her? Yeah. <laughs> no, why? Yeah. So good from Sam Neill. <laughs> So good from Sam Neill. He's just incredulous, like, why? What? I think yeah? they're all coming back for the next movie. <sighs> for the Jurassic World Dominion. Can't wait. Yeah, I think they are. By the way, Jeff Goblin's character is going to turn up and his partner is going to be, like, really young or something yeah. like that. He's <laughs> going to be still in the leather jacket and his partner is going to be, like, 24. Okay, we'll say, place your bets, place your bets. I'm going to say he's a bro- he'll have grown. <laughs> He'll have learned from his experience in Jurassic World and he'll have become a more um, considerate human. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we still love him, though. Like, listen, we got to say that. We still love him. Oh, and I think that kid did an amazing job in that movie. I don't blame her whatsoever for that scene. <laughs> okay. What about the kid at the beginning? What about the kid at the beginning? What's the kid at the beginning? <laughs> that looks pretty stupid. Stupid? I don't think the Velociraptor's stupid. Oh. That kid at the beginning. <laughs> Damn, looks pretty dumb to me. <laughs> that kid's so random. Okay. Final verdicts. Did it pass the Sam's hmm. test? Um, Barely. No. 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 Well, there's only two female characters. And while Laura Dern, like, while Ellie Sattler is a, a fantastic character, and I think Lex is a great, um, she does a great job as well. Like, yeah, I mean, to have, like, the, there's one woman and one, I'm not wrong in that, right? There's no other female characters in this movie. I can't think of any. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think it passes. It doesn't pass for me anyway. Just the dinosaurs. Yeah. Even they couldn't keep them all <laughs> women. They had to fucking ruin that as well. <laughs> Jesus, will it never end? <laughs> All right. Okay, did it pass? For the beginning of the move, beginning of the episode. <laughs> did it pass? Here comes the science bit. Um, 
Probably not, because yeah. you said it's not a thing. And well, it's one million, not sixty-five million. Yeah, and they got some dinosaurs wrong. It passes in terms of like I guess the theory of what of what like being able to do it isn't really that far off. And they did kind of mm. they did work on trying to be as accurate as they could be in terms of for like Hollywoodified version of what's supposed to be a monster movie. Um, yeah. Oh, I believe it should be high scoring on our score. But yeah, does it necessarily? Yeah, but it doesn't. Here comes the sound. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not a. But you know. But they did, I think they did very well. I suppose if we think about the actual Here Comes the Science moment and it's the, it's the video. So yeah, like, it's the video. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's so convincing that in that moment as you're watching it, it doesn't feel stupid. Yeah, exactly. It passes it in that respect for me. Like it doesn't make it, you don't have a moment where you go, what? That's not, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Instead, it's like, oh, that's really cool. We could do that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's I I like yeah. that aspect of it. Um okay. And the presentations. <laughs> what's your uh what's your final verdict? How many um how many velociraptors do you give it? Uh 4. Hey, excellent. Solid 4. Yeah, I'm going to 4.5. So much science, yeah. so much scientist. There is there's so much in it. Um I really it, love it. It is though. the greatest female scientist in cinema history. <laughs> She's one of them, okay? Cinema. <laughs> Cinema. Um, Cinema. Right, cool. So that's Jurassic Park. I'm so happy we've done it. I've been wanting to do it for so long. I'm so happy. Oh, but yeah. this means we have a, a new movie in two weeks' time that we will be doing, and it is a Farida's Choice. Frida, what are you bringing us? It's goof time. <laughs> yes. And it's goof time. I'm going to continue our... Um, sort of feel good movies in the sense of nostalgia mm. and just feeling so happy rewatching them. Um, I'm really sorry to say that we're doing face off next. <laughs> Prepare for impact. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh my God. Am I right to come up? <laughs> that movie has never even been in my realm of consciousness. Oh my God. That's incredible. <laughs> I really didn't know what to expect and I'm shook. <laughs> I decided on this ages ago and I hadn't thought about it at all. And then about two minutes ago, I was like, oh God, it's time for me to say my choice. What was it? Oh yeah. Oh shit. Oh my God. Um, I've only seen it once ever, like when it first came out. And I do remember just being, what? I yeah it's the best movie and um this was a suggestion this incredible. was a recommendation incredible I love it uh, I'm excited great. okay fantastic so if you'd like to join us in two weeks time for face off please do uh, <laughs> oh my god it's incredible <laughs> um thank you for listening leave us a review oh yeah do yeah please leave reviews um now thank you so much for listening uh if you want to get in contact with us you can just email us science at the movies gmail.com send us your recommendations movies you'd like us to cover things like that also check out our instagram at science at the movies and our twitter is movies underscore science if you want to just keep up with some pictures and facts and stuff from the movies um next week we do have a mini-sode episode and if i could actually get my week straight i might be able to figure out which one it is it's the adjustment bureau adjustment bureau okay Thank you. <laughs> no idea.
Yeah. It is. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. When yeah. you're right, you're right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye.